Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. New time limits and distancing rules on the table for reopening pubs and restaurants. But will staycations get left behind when summer travel reopens? Minister of State for Overseas Development Aid and Diaspora Colin Brophy and Sinn Féin TD Louise O'Reilly will be here to discuss. And on Africa Day, we explore the state of race relations in Ireland and a year since the murder of George Floyd, the impact of the Black Lives Matter movement on the world. Has there been a lasting impact on racial justice? Get in touch on Twitter on our hashtag TonightVMTV. start with some breaking news tonight and two Garthi have been injured in a shooting in West Dublin. Our crime correspondent Sarah O'Connor joins us now live from Blanchardstown Gartha station with the very latest on this developing story. Sarah, what can you tell us? Well, Claire, uh, the media blackout has been lifted. A man has been arrested and two Gardaí are being treated for gunshot wounds at Connolly Memorial Hospital. They are believed to be non-life-threatening gunshot wounds. Uh, at, at around 7 o'clock this evening, uh, two detectives here from Blanchardstown Station uh, went to a house in the White Chapel Grove area of Cool Mine nearby. Uh, they were there to serve uh, Gardaí information message on a man there and that would be to let him know that that, uh, officially that there was a threat uh, on his life, that is, his life was under threat. And then a number of shots were fired from a semi-automatic handgun. The two detectives were hit, one of them in the hand, one of them in the foot. They had backup. It's understood that there was a patrol car with uniformed Gardaí who then rang for armed support and the emergency uh, services. And then the two injured Gardaí uh, detectives were triaged nearby by uh, emergency services awaiting uh, the ambulance. Um, in the meantime, uh, the man was shooting from the bedroom window. It's understood that around seven shots, possibly more, were fired from the, uh, the bedroom window. There was a standoff for some time because there were up to 30 members of the public in the area and Gardaí had to remove those members of the public from the area before they could uh, move in on this man and that's what they did this evening just in the past half an hour and there's uh, quite a lot of uh, footage circulating on social media. Uh, Gar members of the Gardaí can be seen uh, uh, taking cover um, behind the patrol car uh, and then uh, one of the injured Gardaí can be seen being lifted away from the scene before uh, he was triaged and then taken to Connolly uh, Memorial Hospital. But uh, this evening a man has been arrested. Gardaí were able to move in on him when they removed uh, members of the public from the scene. He's been brought here to Blanchardstown Station. Two um, uh, detectives are being treated at Connolly Memorial Hospital 
hospital with non-life-threatening gunshot wounds. Okay, Sarah O'Connor live from Blanchardstown with the very latest on that shooting. Thank you for joining us tonight. Now to the government's summer reopening plan. I'm joined by our political correspondent, Gavin Riley. And Gavin, no sign of the much-awaited hospitality guidelines for pubs and restaurants that they were expecting. That's right. We were told to expect them at some point today. They were due to have been released by the Department of the Taoiseach at some point this evening, or at least uh, released by Fáilte Ireland, but with the sanction of the Department of the Taoiseach. But we are told that the Department has tried to put a little bit of a dampener on this, that they want the whole process to be uh, delayed just a little bit. The official line is that they want to make sure that everything is, is all, all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed. But this will be something of a surprise to people who really wanted a lot of clarity after the earlier indications were that, after all, um, despite some indications from ministers in the last couple of days that there in fact was going to be the return of the two-hour rule uh, for indoor dining. People will remember previously if you couldn't keep more than two metres between tables that you were expected to have the two-metre rule. They're now expecting the two-metre rule to be scrapped, that you'd only have one metre between tables. But now we're hearing that the two-hour rule is still going to be maintained. And given some of the focus that there's been on the role of ventilation in indoor areas and trying to make sure that people are kept safe in that way, there are some question marks around what exactly is the merit of a two-hour rule. And particularly when you also consider, Claire, that indoor hospitality isn't likely to be returning for another five or six weeks. And in that time, we'd expect to have uh, much more than 1.5 million extra doses issued. There'll be people questioning whether there is a need for there to be that level of precaution, given the mass societal vaccination that we'll have reached at that point. But the clarity that we were going to have today still not to be found. We, we still await some clarity as to whether they might now be issued tomorrow. Of course, Gavin, this is all part of the wider reopening plan. What's the government thinking on that? We're expecting an announcement, of course, on Friday. But what's the talk about what's going to happen there? Uh, well, there still hasn't been uh, very much uh, early leaking or any kind of uh, early indications on what exactly be, will be planned other than what we'd heard from Cabinet in the last couple of weeks. We know that uh, this Friday's meeting is going to be something of a halfway house because we were due to hear uh, details of a plan for the reopening of international travel last week that ended up not getting considered because the cabinet was too distracted by the other emerging uh, crisis regarding cuckoo funds. And there was also due to be a cabinet meeting next week at which the plans for the reopening beyond early June were going to be considered. So effectively, those two uh, have been brought together. Uh, but interestingly, because Michal Martin, the Taoiseach, has been in Brussels for the last couple of days attending the European Council, which has been dominated by issues in Belarus, there hasn't been a weekly cabinet meeting. And it means that all the other usual bits and bobs and, and the, the moving parts and all the other uh, early scrutiny and the early suggestions of what might be coming uh, have all been put back a little bit. So no, no early indications as of yet. Uh, still waiting to hear exactly, of course, when uh, the government intends to have the Green Pass uh, implemented, by which point then you would have uh, free travel returning around Europe for those who have already received a vaccine. And of course, Gavin, the other big story, of course, the cyber hack on our health system. Uh, it was brought up at the Anoroctus Committee today, and there's much talk about getting someone to fill that important job of overseeing um, cyber security in this country, but it does come at a price. It does come at a price, and it was a price that I think a lot of TDs were surprised when they were given it earlier on. We know that the role of director of the National Cybersecurity Centre has been vacant since it was uh, advertised a couple of years ago. There was a, a private sector appointee lined up who ended up turning down the job. Part of the reason, as it turns out, that the job was finding it hard to fill is because when you compare the salary on offer in this role, a salary of around €89,000, to what people can expect for similar duties and similar expertise in the private sector, then the public sector simply just can't stack up. One recruitment expert uh, belongs 
wanted, uh, I'm sorry, I can't, can't remember her surname, but one of the experts that was at the committee earlier on spoke about what you might expect in the private market for someone of, of this skill level, of someone of these expertise. And she said that the going rate in the private sector would be somewhere between 220 and 290,000 euro. And not only that, but that there would also be a bonus and perks package of somewhere between 150 and 200,000 euro. Now, that would be uh, significantly in excess of what pretty much everyone else in the public payroll would be paid. This that, that salary would make somebody basically the second highest paid person on the public payroll after Paul Reid, the chief executive of the HSE. But the argument being put forward by those experts today was that that's the sort of price you need to pay in order to get someone that has the appropriate skill set and to, to get them out of the private sector where they would naturally be working. So uh, where exactly the government will land on that remains to be seen. There was talk of increasing that salary offer from around 89,000 to somewhere in the region of 130. But uh, the government clearly been told today by the experts in the field that if they want to get someone who is fit for the job, they're going to have to shell out a lot more. Okay, Gavin Riley, our political correspondent, thank you for joining us tonight. And I'm joined now in studio by Minister of State for Overseas Development Aid and Diaspora, Colin Brophy, and Sinn Féin TD, Louise O'Reilly. Before we get to those other matters of the day, uh, another big story is Belarus. Um, it's your remit uh, within your ministry. And I want to ask you on that, um, Colin Brophy, the hijacking of a civilian flight, the arrest of a journalist, his detention, it still remains unclear how safe he is or otherwise and that of his partner. And the sanctions that have been announced, uh, well, we don't know exactly how they will extend. But is the EU going far enough? Because we've seen sanctions on Belarus before, but it hasn't deterred actions such as this. Well, I think we always need to remember when we're implementing sanctions that they have two impacts. They have the impact you want, which is the impact on a, a completely unacceptable regime that has done something that is an absolute disgrace by any standards in terms of what is acceptable international behaviour and something that we must strongly condemn and do, not just as Ireland, but as the European Union. Um, and also the fact that sanctions also impact on the population of a country. So what the European Union has tried to do is to target the sanctions uh, to put in place a range of sanctions which target the regime uh, that is there and also to target, particularly in this case, the aviation side of restricting aviation. So there is, I believe, a very comprehensive set of sanctions very quickly agreed by the EU leaders um, at their summit um, and obviously they'll be implemented now over the coming days. Um, there is, I think, the right balance of trying to send a clear message without trying to do it in such a way um, that you're piling more misery on what is a truly awful situation that already exists in Belarus for so many people. Yeah, so many people and uh, so many activists and journalists arrested and the situation hasn't really changed. Is this really going to make the impact that it needs to make? I hope it will. Um, I hope what we saw, uh, such an unacceptable act of effectively international air piracy um, in terms of what was done to that Ryanair flight, uh, will, um, will enable the EU to act together decisively. And it's good to see uh, that that will also be joined by the United States. It will be joined by the UK. There is obviously, though, clear, different, uh, clear problems in terms of you're dealing with a country which has a regime in place which is supported by another very strong state next to it um, and that that regime is very difficult um, you know to deal with in terms of the population have been in a very very brave way 
protesting and really feeling the wrath of this regime in terms of imprisonment and uh, the type of barbaric behaviour to people when they are in prison, which obviously is unacceptable. And we heard the opposition in Belarus saying that the EU cares momentarily about issues like this. The hijacking of Orion Air flight obviously brings European and world attention to mm -hmm. it. Will the sanctions go far enough? Well, I'm not sure that they will uh, in the first instance. And I don't think that any uh, any country or any participant should rule out revisiting those. I mean, let's not forget there is a, a young journalist and his partner. They are being uh, they are being held at the moment. And as you said, we don't know how safe uh, that they are. And I think that's gravely concerning. I mean, Ireland has a unique position uh, in terms of our membership of the UN Security Council. And perhaps it is time for that leadership to be shown at that level. You know, I'm in receipt of a lot of representations and I know Colm is as well, in particular from the, the National Union of Journalists, and they are gravely concerned for their colleague. So we'd like to see, you know, Ireland use their position on the UN Security Council to actually send a very, very strong message and to provide that, uh, that leadership in the same way as we want them to show that level of leadership in relation to uh, the, uh, the bombardment of Gaza and the West Bank. OK, back home, um, we want to get on to the hospitality plan. I'm joined on Skype by Adrian Cummins from the Restaurants Association of Ireland. Adrian, um, the guidelines, they have been announced, they're out there, but they're not, they're not formalised yet. But what we're hearing, six people per booking, one metre distancing, both indoor and outdoor, an emphasis on ventilation, but one key difference if you're dining indoors, and that's the 105-minute uh, limit. Were you expecting that? Good evening, Claire. Um, the, the guidelines have not been published fully yet. We expect that to happen tomorrow. Obviously, there's some some issues behind the scenes that is happening tonight and, and earlier this evening. Uh, the 105 minutes is an issue for certain businesses because uh, what we want to do is make sure that we reopen properly, safely, fully, in a viable manner and fashion when we do reopen all of hospitality as soon as possible. Uh, the 105 minutes, it was there last year. It did work well for certain businesses. I can see there is going to be issues for, for predominantly the traditional pubs and wet pubs, uh, trying to get people in and get them uh, with regard to a time limit. Uh, so we want to make sure that this government has a key date in place for the reopening of indoor dining as soon as possible. We want to see that in line with hotels because there's no difference between a hotel restaurant and a standalone restaurant, gastropub or coffee shop in this country. Okay, and we'll, we will get to those issues. Colin Brophy, I want to bring you in here. Um, just on the, the, the matter of the guidelines, we were expecting them to be published. What's happened? Well, the honest and simple answer to that is I can't give you an answer because I don't know. I actually found out doing another radio show earlier on today, live on air, that they had been postponed. I presume, like everything, with the main deadline in this is Friday and is the Cabinet decision on all of these proposals. Along that way, there will be things that will be changed, there will be things that will be worked on, there will be things that might, might need a little bit of extra time. So I think it is right that rather than publish something when you're not 100% happy that you wait and you get it right and you take an extra Do day. Do there's some disquiet about the guidelines? I, I have no idea because um, I think it, it, all the various aspects of reopening and all the changes and all the things people want to see are the focus of numerous discussions. And I think within that you're going to have 
no matter what is decided, a myriad of views of what would be the right thing to do. So I think it is much more important to take an extra 24 hours, or even not even 24 hours, maybe uh, 15 hours realistically, and put out those guidelines um, rather than do something that you, you're, you're then having to correct. So I think the right course is, if you're having that discussion still, park at the real deadline, remember, is Friday, and we're working towards that. Some may say the guidelines were sort of put out there um, very quickly it came back that there weren't too happy restaurant owners and publicans weren't happy about this 105 minute rule. They're trying to get their businesses back up and running and now it's back at the table again to reconsider. Oh, you have a very cynical view on life. I don't, I don't, necessar reality, I, I, I don't necessarily think that. I, I, I think that what we had actually today, if my understanding is correct, I think we had a, a, a leak of uh, some information in one particular newspaper uh, that had that information uh, and I think they put it out it's far more important, I think, when it comes to the actual guidelines that we wait and we get okay. it right. The actual guidelines. Sounds like the actual guidelines may be different to what um, we've heard about today. Um, what's your take on this and Sinn Féin's take on this? Because businesses are very eager to get back up and running. Very. And Very eager. The, the guidelines and the safety measures need to be in place in order for that to happen. Yeah, and they and people were allowed to believe that the guidelines would be introduced, would be published today. All right, so that's a disappointment. That's a disappointment not just for the people who own the businesses, but for the people who want to get back to work in those businesses. But you know, if it's a case of fifteen hours, I don't think anyone uh, anyone would quibble over that. The important thing is that the guidelines are published. But I want to reference a point that was made by Adrian earlier in relation to restaurants that are just standalone restaurants, pubs that are standalone pubs and hotels. I think, and I raised this uh, with the Taunashta, it doesn't seem to make sense to people and I think it's important that when the guidelines are introduced and when they are publicised, that they are guidelines that, that make sense to people and that are workable. It doesn't make sense that you might have a hotel with a small restaurant in it and maybe with low ceilings and a restaurant standalone or a pub that has high ceilings and, and, and large space. So I think in that regard, and to be fair to the Taunashta when I raised it with him he, he did say that he would go back and have a look and we just want to see is there epidemiological evidence that supports that and direct engagement with the sector because the one thing that if you're talking you can talk to Adrian and others and he will tell you and Colm knows this the one yeah. thing that the sector cannot sustain is opening and closing yes. and yo-yoing in and, and out of lockdown why, nobody and, wants that and that's why it's absolutely right I think to take the time and get it right okay. because there are a number I, of very nuanced areas within this and you have to take that combination of what we want to to see, which is to get it right so as it stays open and also to do it in a way that guarantees the ultimate I, I just want to bring Adrian back in because that's a big push that your organisation is making on this June 2nd date that in fact all restaurants should be open for indoor dining at that point. Do you think realistically that might happen? Well, we are pushing very, very hard for a, an alignment of a reopening with hotel restaurants, independent gastropubs and coffee shops together. Because every day that we're closed is the day closer for a business to collapse. And as we head into the tourist season, the soundings from government now is that it will be a mid-June or mid-July reopening for all hospitality. And that is too late for many parts of regional, rural and tourist parts of Ireland that needs to reopen. We reopened on the 29th of June last year. We have to open as soon as possible because otherwise these businesses will collapse in the autumn when they don't have cash flow to keep their businesses open. Okay. Um, 
Colin Brophy, isn't that one of the big problems? If you're saying hotel dining can happen, but, you know, if you're a restaurant next door, you can't reopen for a further six weeks. That's hugely problematic, isn't it? Well, if you look at what government's trying to do on this, and I have tremendous sympathy for what was just outlined there, because I have so many people in my constituency who own restaurants, who own businesses, who want to do nothing more than reopen for to serve the community, to, to for their employees, to get them back working. But you have to balance that out with the fact that the two things, which is the comment Louise made, which I would totally agree with, is you don't want in any way to do something that could trigger an open and close. You want to ensure that when you finally go to open, that it stays open. And you also want to, though, and this is absolutely critical, do that in compliance with the medical advice. Because if you're not doing it in compliance with the medical advice, you're putting a complete you know, the customers, the people who want to go, who so badly, I like everybody wants to go back yeah. and enjoy themselves in pubs and restaurants, etc. But I think the few days that we might have to wait one way or the other will be worth it if we can get this right. Right, OK, so there could be changes, you're saying, in the final plan we'll on have, Friday. Friday is what's coming okay. on Friday and we'll I, wait till Friday. I want to, to ask to you about, about this green cert for travel. Yes. Now, we know it's been approved in the EU tonight and Ireland has said full steam ahead. Micheál Martin has said, look, we want to get going on yes. this. We want people to be able to travel freely if they're vaccinated if they've had COVID, if they pass the various tests and, 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 and allow them to travel. That could mean travel in mid-July. What happens to hotels, what happens to restaurants, cafes, cafes and all this staycation idea if suddenly people can book to go abroad? Well, first and foremost, I would say to to people, the staycation idea is still the best idea. So if you can, you should, and you should do that. People will make their own choices, though. If airline travel opens up, as they did last summer, people decided, regardless of whatever advice was there, some people went. I would still say to people, for this summer, if you could not only think of two things, forget your own holiday for a second, Think of the greater community, think of the greater good, think of the people's businesses who've been closed for so long. We need you to stay in this country and to have a staycation here. You may later in the year or you may early next year or you may next summer be able to enjoy that overseas holiday. That's fine. But please, please do your staycation here in Ireland and support those restaurants and, and pubs. And the sector will be screaming, think of the aviation sector. Well, the aviation sector is absolutely huge. There's 140,000 jobs and our connectivity depending on aviation getting back up and running. I was talking to pilots from Aer Lingus. They were, they were outside the Dáil today and I know that a, a number of people from across the, the, the political so divide were talking do, to them. What do you do on this? Well, this so we're trying to help businesses at home. We're trying to help restaurants, hotels, everyone get back on their feet. We're bringing out these guidelines around dining. We're putting huge support into outdoor dining and the pressure on that. And at the same time, we're promising but the, the digital holiday green, makers that they may yeah. be able okay, to go so the, away the, the, the digital the green certificate, that they can get back up and The running. digital green pr certificate presents an opportunity, not just for, and, and the, the focus can sometimes just shift immediately to, well, are, are Irish people going to go suddenly abroad? Actually, there's an awful lot of industry that depends on people being able to travel here and travel here safely. So people want to know that the, the, when they use the digital green cert, that they it will enable travel both ways. And I think that's, that's important. Most, sorry, that is and I think important. we need to, I think we need to, focus on not just getting the digital cert agreed at European level, but ensuring that we can bring it in and travel can be safe and okay, ensure that most people can, can travel just, Can I just say on aviation, because this is really important. The most important part about safely reopening aviation is inward travel. We want to, when we can, welcome people safely back into this country. And I know, like Louise's party wanted to at one stage close down the entire country to every country and quarantine everyone arriving, that's which would have destroyed Colin, aviation. That, that's not what true. What I want to see that's not is true. I want what we've to called see... For, no, actually, no, no, hang 
want a second because I want to see I'm not the quickest, fastest return for to safe aviation that enables Air Lingus and Ryanair to actually, and our other airlines that work in and out of this country, to bring in people. Because once we get past COVID, okay. we want to see people coming back, including particularly for me, the Irish diaspora. And we want to okay, see Adrian a published Thomas, I just, plan I just want for to bring aviation. Adrian back in there. Um, the idea of attracting people back into the country, is that something that you would be hopeful about or are you worried about people cancelling their plans for holidaying at home if they get the chance to fly and leave the country? Well, we need a balanced approach to this. We need a practical approach where we can attract in tourists into the country safely. We need to have antigen testing. We need to develop, re-engage re with, with our carriers that, uh, with regard to connectivity. We've lost 50% of our routes into Ireland. We need to rebuild that and get our tourist industry back up and running. This is very this is critical for our tourism and hospitality industry that we start this as quickly as possible in a safe manner. Okay, my thanks to you, Adrian Cummins, and Louise O'Reilly. Colin Brophy is staying with me. And coming up, can Ireland do better on race relations? Welcome back. Minister Colin Brophy is still here with me and I'm joined by author and social justice activist Dr. Ibun Joseph. Um, I'll start with you, Dr. Joseph. Today marks Africa Day um, and its diverse history and heritage. How is it being celebrated right across the country, given the times that we're living in? and not being able to catch up maybe in person, but having to do it virtually. Yeah, I think it's been, it's been difficult. I think I'll start with the fact that, you know, I got here and I was like, oh no, a missed opportunity. It's African day, where's my African dress? Okay. You know, so for me, that's even the first sign that it's really, really different. Last year, we still managed to do so much more. This year is a whole lot more quiet, um, you know, because last year, I mean, African Day, the first thing we do on African Day is we put on our African clothes. So I really enjoy that in my formal space. Well, I still managed to have some of my African hair on. It's called the One Million Braid. I managed to have some of that on. But yeah, it, it's, for me, it's a massive missed opportunity. You know, like, oh, I should have my, some of my wonderful African clothes on. But a, a lot of people have been, managed to do a lot of things, um, you know, taking pictures, you know, sharing, you know, with, with friends and, and stuff. And with culture and heritage celebrated, the issue of identity is very much to the fore as well, isn't it, Ibun? And given that we in Ireland, we have increased diversity, we have multi-ethnicity right across the country now, how do you think the identity of black Irish people has been defined or is it defined or is it still an evolving thing for people in your community? I think it's, I think it's still being defined. I think it's... Not even just, I don't, if we, I don't know if we've actually started having that conversation. And that's why it's a challenge. So because we look at, you know, like when I write about it, I'm like, who do we even call the, call the first set of black Irish um, people who were in Ireland? Do we say the mixed race people? You know, Jude, you know, Jude was 80 years old um, last week. He's the oldest of the mixed race um, Irish. He was born here, he's Irish, but, you know, he has a black, you know, father. So he's black. Do you know, so do we call them the first race, the first generation? He's 80. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know, or do we call our children who are born here now, do we call us the parents who are the, you know, the migrants? So who do we call? Those conversations are not being heard, you know. And so we need to create safe spaces because it's about identity. When we don't help people to understand who they are, mm. they, they have this identity crisis later on, you know, because your foundation is so vital. It keeps you grounded. Uh, Colin Brophy, I want to bring you in here. It is a celebration of diversity in many ways. Arguably, Ireland has come a long way. It's been forced to. Have we come far enough in embracing diversity in this country? Well, just to comment on one thing that was being said earlier on by both of you, uh, I think it really is, it's so unfortunate that you can't have that tremendous vibrancy and that, that sense of life and excitement that Africa Day normally has. And we, we can't do it, obviously, this year. We couldn't do it last year. I look forward to the opportunity that we will get to do it next year. And to have that celebration and opportunity of the, the that African involvement in Irish life, because... 60,000 approximately people now living in our country are uh, uh, of an African heritage. Many of them are Irish citizens. Many of them have made a tremendous uh, contribution to our country. And I think it is a really important part of what Africa Day does is to highlight that contribution, to show the really positive sense that the dynamism, they, 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 all the things that is really positive and good about Africa. And that is a really important part of dealing with the aspects of, of race relations, of intercultural mixing and coming together and having people recognise the, the the real vibrancy and the contribution which people make to our country. Do you think there's a concern that it's contained within the African community, but as a wider community, we need to educate people about diversity in this country? Well, it's something that we are really working on with Africa Day is to try, and unfortunately COVID restricted it in a way, but even what I did um, yesterday was we had an event actually out in Balgadi, and we had uh, a, a fabulous storytelling woman who originally was from you. Uh, Uganda and we had a gentleman from Nigeria and they were talking to children in a creche, young children, and giving them stories and entertaining them with the culture and values. And that was all children of every type of group that lives and goes to that creche in the area. And I think that outreach is, is really important. We used to have a tremendous opportunity in, the, in Farmley in the Phoenix Park in events that were open okay. to everybody. And I think it is really important to take Africa Day out into the Irish community, out into the greater community, in the same way that we type of celebrate St. Patrick's Day in the Irish diaspora internationally as well. But I, I think that we need a whole lot more than that. That's what I was so going to I ask was, you. This is one day. Okay. One so day. What, before, what, what before, more is needed? Like you mentioned that conversation and that critical conversation about yeah, identity. Yeah. Because honestly, you know, and, and I came here to tell that it will be on your good behaviour, be smiley, be happy, be nice, and all of that. But so African Day should be more than our dance, our diets, and our dress. 
So we call that the three Ds, the diet, the dance, and the dress. We don't want that. I can't pay bills with my diet, my dance, and my dress. I can't even stop somebody from being uh, performing racism because of my dance, my diet, and my dress. You come in uh, with uh, prejudice ideas, you will go away with that. So we need a, a bigger a bigger thing. This is the the celebration of the day itself mm. should be to to reel you in, to get you to understand, to to see that these people exist. You know, to say we recognize you, but there should be something bigger happening within our community, okay. like in but education. That, but, but Can we talk? And I want to talk about that. I want to ask you about that specifically about education and using that as a tool. Does it need to be formalised in our schools? Does it need to be taught to our children at a very young age? And what stories have you heard from? from black Irish about how they feel they fit in or they don't fit in or try to fit into a community that isn't necessarily recognizing them. So I'll tell you, I teach, I started the first black studies module in Ireland, in UCD. I teach that from 2018. And the most amazing thing about it is for the first time, the students coming in university, some of them coming and they're saying, this is the first time I've been taught by somebody who looks like me. I'm saying a girl or a boy who's grown for 20 years, never taught by somebody who looks like, do you know how, how that, I mean, I know it's exciting, but I feel gutted, you know, like, oh my God, you know. I went into a secondary school um, two years ago, and it was, you know, part of Black History Month, and it was a, it was a secondary school in Clondalkin. I could give them a shout out now, but their name is gone in my head. Because, you know, it was fantastic. It was the young girls who organized it. And I went in, and the girls, the kids, they were all excited. They were like, oh, they were excited, you know. Why? They saw somebody who looked like them, who was actually a lecturer. It's it was about, exciting. And that's going to say... That. How, how critically important is that? And are well, we doing... But that is, and, and that is, uh, that's one of the central points about Africa. Yeah, but that's one of the central points about Africa Day that I think uh, maybe you didn't get what I was saying on this. It's far more than just... To to do with one aspect. It's to do with showing uh, the people all the aspects of how people from Africa who've made their home here contribute to our country. So, so much of what we do on Africa Day is about giving examples of community leaders, of business leaders, of people who've had... And that it's that type of involvement, as you say there, it's the ability to see and to have a central day to project it. And I'm all in favour of this because yeah. you need to have that awareness in the greater community that there is a tremendous cohort of people here making an incredible difference across almost every... And, and one, really one, key, one key thing, because I know you're you're pushed on time, particularly in our health sector and in the work that they have been doing along with all the other frontline workers over the last uh, year. And you're, saying, we you're saying they, shouldn't we be saying we? No, 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 be I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, I'm talking about a group of people with pride on a particular okay. day. When it comes to, the, 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 we're all Irish and we're all in this together, but I think this is important to recognise, just like we have March 17th for Irish people all over the world, yes. and it gives us that great ability to project for ourselves. I think it's really uh, important that we have an opportunity to show the strength sure. of the people, so many of whom, as I said I earlier, are Irish citizens. I want to get on to the point um, just on the issue of racism because it is wonderful to talk about all the positive aspects around Africa Day and how far we've come. It's, it's a blight on this country. And well, are we doing enough around it? We have hate crime laws, but they haven't been enacted. So they haven't come in. We have a huge issue around that. And even if you start on social media, you know, the, the, the problems that, that people are facing. Are we doing enough? 
Well, I'm of the view you can never do enough when it comes to this particular area. You always need to be doing more. You always need to be working harder. I think we're still, as a country, at a point where we can make a tremendous difference to how the next years and decades play out by taking very strong and proactive steps at this stage. We have seen what has happened in so many of our European neighbours where they didn't take the right action and you ended up with racism becoming embedded within generations. What I have seen in, in, in my life is that we have moved to a very multiracial country. Our young people are very, very integrated, very accepting, but we need to work right across society to say, no, we need to challenge every single aspect of her racism where it's head. We can do more. Honestly, we can, we, we can, we are in a position that where we can do more. We are not asking, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Is this, what we're asking for is not rocket science. It's not so big. It's actually so tiny. That's why sometimes I worry that, why does it take us so long to effect it? Narratives are very very important because we're where we are today because of the narratives that we have told yesterday. And so the way stories are told are, you know, are really, really important, you know, in, in, in how that is done. And we see five-year-olds performing racism. Okay. We'll have to leave it there. My thanks to Minister Colin Brophy. Ebon is staying with me. And coming up one year since the murder of George Floyd, a police killing that rocked the world. What have we learned? We'll be live in Washington. Stay with us. Welcome back. Author and social justice activist Ebon Joseph is still here with me. And events have taken place to mark the first anniversary of the murder of George Floyd, a police killing in the US that rocked the world and led to a global quest for racial justice. Ebon, I want to come to you on that. To take you back to those horrifying events of a year ago, and it's hard to believe it was one year ago, what was your initial reaction when you heard what happened? And the fallout since then, and what what has happened? The since killing then? itself, yeah. the kill. Ah, it was. Um, I think it, it's still a shock for me. Do you know? I think because what happened with with COVID, every we were slowed down, so there was no activity. So it was like there was this big void where, so we got everything because George Floyd was not the first killing. We've had younger people killed in exactly the same way. I can't breathe. We've had exactly that. So it was not a new thing. It was, a, it was just a continuation of that. But George Floyd happened at a time where we had slowed down. We had the carrying first. And the activity of running around was gone. So it was like, you know, it's like meditation. You hear, we, I heard, I would say I heard it in a way I'd never heard it before. And for days, I was just traumatized because he could have been anybody. He could have been anybody's husband, anybody's father, anybody's friend, anybody's uncle. He could have just been anybody. And we've seen it even since then. So it's not as if, it's not as if that has changed anything. Now, we've still seen people for taillights. We've still seen people for having, you know, air fresheners or things in the car. We've still seen people still killed in exactly, you know, the same way, just not recorded and put on television. Which brings me to the point about the Black Lives Matter protests. And of course, his death, his killing sparked a massive wave of protests right across the world. They began in the US and they quickly came here to Ireland. Do you think they had the impact that people would have wanted? You talk about the, the inequality still continuing. 
do you think they ha had an impact and the they, they have helped in terms of race relations? I think the protest itself have, I mean, the protest made a massive difference because it, like I do a lot of um, anti-racism trainings and talks like that. And I've been to businesses that have never had anything about black history. In October, we had black history month. I was literally speaking in almost every day. So, so it has helped in that days an awareness. It has also helped in the fact that um, people, people are, there's more openness to talk about it. My only um, worry is that it has not come from top down, it's just from the bottom up. And race is about power, it's about who has you know, the policies that are in place, and it's about who has the power, you know. And so if it's from the bottom up, the changes are not happening as fast as we would hope they would. Um, Joe Biden saying today that the conviction of, of, of uh, Derek Chauvin last month was a step towards justice. What would you think of his sentiments in that regard? I don't know. I mean, it is, it is a step. I don't know if it's a towards justice, because justice would have been that he wasn't killed in the first place. So, I so for me, it's not justice. You know, it's, I don't see it as justice, but I am happy that for the first time we actually have somebody convicted, you know, of, of a debt. You know, why did it take 10 hours? You know, it took 8 minutes and 46 seconds, you know, to kill him. It should have taken 8 minutes, 46 seconds to reach that decision as well. You know, so the fact that some of us were biting our nails, just praying. I mean, I was actually literally waiting to hear the decision that, you know, he'd been, they'd been indicted. You know, so the fact that we were not sure Okay, well, we can get some reaction from the US now. I'm joined by CNN's Isabel Rosales from Washington on this, the first anniversary of the murder of George Floyd. And his death, as we know, sparked those worldwide protests and that quest for social justice. Um, tell us, Isabel, how has the anniversary been marked by the Floyd family? Hello, Claire. Today is certainly about honoring the life of George Floyd, but it is also about protecting his legacy. Um, over Minneapolis, we saw a celebration of life, but his most immediate family, his sister, his brothers, his daughter, right here in Washington, meeting with the president one-on-one, -on -one, the vice president, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and other lawmakers. And their hope here is to create momentum for the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, because that right there is his legacy. And what's happening with this much anticipated bill? Absolutely, Claire. Well, we did miss the deadline here. The lawmakers did. The self-imposed deadline by President Biden to get it to his desk by today. Nonetheless, we saw something rare happening in Washington, a joint statement by the bipartisan lead negotiator stating that they are confident, they're optimistic that they can pass this bill, but they need time on it. And that's actually the point of the family as well. They don't want any corners cut. They want this done right. Tell us about the memorial events that are taking place. We've seen pictures there right across the U.S. today. Yeah, and kind of the ground zero of that is Minneapolis, where this all happened. Uh, today we saw a, a celebration of life that is currently still going on, uh, an open mic, poetry, music, singing, marches, honestly, in every major city from Seattle to New York City to right here in Washington, honoring his life, honoring his legacy, and beyond what is said in words, also as powerful as silence. We saw the NAACP and other agencies um, having a moment of silence, nine minutes and 29 seconds, marking every moment that the former Minneapolis police officer, Derek Chauvin, knelt on the neck of George Floyd, killing him. And we're talking about the impact of the subsequent protests and 
what sort of impact they had on race relations in the US. Has it changed the picture there, how wider society treats African-Americans? We've seen ripples of change from everywhere, from police departments, local police departments, to the schoolhouse, to corporate America. We've seen local police departments banning chokeholds, um, ordering their officers to intervene if they see another officer not doing things appropriately in the schoolhouse, a change in the curriculum, actually talking about systemic racism. And we've seen brands responding too. brands like Ben and Jerry's, Nike, Peloton, putting out statements in support of Black Lives Matter and also changes in brands. Aunt Jemima, the syrup company, changing uh, the caricature there um, in a response to uh, race stereotypes. So we have seen that more of awareness, that more of talk happening here in the United States. But activists say that's not nearly enough. More needs to happen because after George Floyd, we continue to see a growing list of more names, more black faces. Breonna Taylor, Ronald Green, Dante Wright, it keeps going. Okay, Isabel Rosales, thank you for joining us from Washington with the latest from there tonight. Thank you. Um, Ibon, I want to bring you back in here. The list grows, as we heard there from Washington. There is a change across corporate America and there seems to be some sort of step towards getting things right, but yeah. there's a long way to go. Yeah. And that's the worry, do you understand? You know, because we can, we can give it to companies and organizations. I mean, they are doing a massive lot of things between schools, and she, she named a few of them. That's happening. But the fact is that on still on a daily basis, lives are still being lost. And it goes back, for me, it ties back to education. And that was the point I was trying to make earlier. Education is key. You know, and it's not just education for historically black colleges, but education that begins to help you to see the humanity of the black person. We think that race, racism is not the N-word. I don't care if you call me the N-word. It's not the N-word. Racism is saying that these group of people are not human. They are subhuman. That is where racism came from. And we need to re-educate. Education cannot deal with it, but there is this 70% of people in the middle that it can, the education can help them to deal with, you know, the, the racist, you know, ideas that we have. I would argue here in Ireland, we don't have those legacy issues. We don't have what's happened over in America over decades and, and decades of repression. And um, there's an opportunity here in Ireland to be at the forefront of, of racial diversity and equality. Absolutely. Would you agree with that? I do agree with that. And I think it's a missed opportunity. For me, they come up as missed opportunities because we do have plenty of racism here between young people. You see the young, last year, I mean, I didn't have to speak so much because I saw so many young people were out there writing, telling their own stories of their experience of racism. Even five-year-olds talking about their experience of racism in Ireland, not in the US. So it is happening here with us as well. So we can do something before we start killing bodies or people grow old enough and say, I don't belong, you know, I'm Irish, but I don't feel like I belong because I'm not white enough, you know, to be Irish. Because, you know, all of that, we can begin to re-educate ourselves. Did the pandemic impact things as well? Because there is, when you look at the global um, impact of that in terms of who's being treated, who's getting vaccinated, who's not. There is a two-tier uh, global reality 
uh, appearing now, isn't there? Absolutely. I mean, when, when I, do, I do a lot of lectures, but one of the things I always try and, you know, look at racism and, and um, the pandemic, I'm like, they are like twin brothers, you know? If you look at racism, you know, racism mutates. You know, we have a variant of racism in Ireland and a variant of racism in the UK. It's the same thing with the virus. You know, we have the virus, the, the, you know, the variants in the UK or the one in India or the one in Ireland. It's the same thing. It mutates. And so it changes across time and space, you know? Um, but key things, we can learn lessons from the virus, what we've done. When I do my lessons, I say, what have we learned from the virus? We were able to make systemic changes. We've not been able to deal with it just by saying, oh, we should do something. No, we actually made changes in the system. That's what we need to do with the virus of racism. We need to, it can't be left for only those infected. We have to say, it's the whole society. If you don't have it, assume you have it. That's the th trick of it, you know? And that's, we need to do the same thing with racism. You know, so we can learn so much from the way we've dealt with the virus to begin to make changes with racism. It not, we shouldn't just look at it as only the groups impacted by it. We should look at it with, you know, groups who are outside of it. One quick example I always give when I do, you know, when I run an exercise, I say, if you were running down a street and you saw a fire, you know, would you stop? What would you do at 6 a.m.? Everybody says, oh, I'll call 999. I would call the police. I would knock at the door. I say, exactly. You don't ask, is the person black in the house? You do something. For companies, as individuals, we also must have a 999 for racism. Okay, a good point to leave this conversation on. That's it from us. Um, our programme is available as a podcast. And the next news here is on Ireland AM in the morning from all the late team here. Good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.